Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Sunday sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship. We would love to hear how God has blessed your life. Reach out to us through social media or email us at scfellowshipchurch at gmail.com. Last week I talked to you about taming the tongue and pausing. How many of you struggled with that this week? And I got my hand up not to encourage you to raise it, but to tell you I struggled with that this week. I don't know that I was, thank you for being, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the honesty and the support. I don't know if I was struggling with it before, but you know, sometimes when you, when you bring something up, you become more aware. So maybe I was struggling with it and just didn't realize it. It's like buying a new car. You never saw that car on the street in that color until you bought one and then you see them everywhere, don't you? It, it's, it's wild how that works. It, it brings our attention to what's going on around us. And so for me, I'm sure that the issue of taming the tongue has been something that I've been in need of hearing for a while, and so God brought it up, and I did notice. I just saw you, Johnny. Man, good to see you. I know you were like being pointed out right in the middle of service, but I mean, it made me happy. I'm just excited to see you, man. <laughs> Amen. I'm excited to see all of you. Um, so it, it reminds us that God's still working on us. God's still doing something inside of us, and so I called dad and said, man, you know, I'm just struggling. I, I confess to you that the Braves have been driving me up a wall. I, they, they are driving me crazy. And the, the pitching staff is just, I mean, it's, it's tearing me up inside. And I've, I've gotten pretty vocal about it. I've not gotten any response back from the pitching staff yet. I'm still waiting on them to, you know, let me know that they're aware that they're, they're, they're messing stuff up here. But at one point I realized, you know, this has really affected me more than it should. I, I should not be this bothered by something I can't control. You know, I'm still waiting on my World Series ring from 2021, but it's obvious that's not coming because I wasn't a part of the team, but for some reason that's the way I react, right? Uh, and that's it's a reaction. It's not a response. Well, unfortunately, that starts to spill over into my other relationships, you know, and so I start to get a little bit more frustrated and fuss at people. And so I called dad and just talked to him and he reminded me that the Lord had given a good message through last week and taming the tongue is something that we all wrestle with and something that we have got to do. And last week I talked to you specifically about pausing and I think the part of the message that I myself forgot was if you're still struggling to say something positive, pause a little longer. I was pausing, but I just wasn't pausing long enough. And so I'm working on pausing a little longer. And then today I want to add to that. In addition to pausing, we need to ponder and pray before we speak. We can't tame this tongue. James chapter 3 tells us, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. And we talked about the fact that we do say, thank you, Lord, praise you, God, and then the next breath we're fussing at somebody. But yet that somebody was made by the very God we're blessing and praising. We don't think about that when we are spouting off at the mouth with a mouth that's full of deadly poison. We got to trust the Lord first and foremost. We want to pause Today we're going to talk about ponder and pray, but it all starts with trust in the Lord. And we talked about the burning bush uh, incident with Moses and God. And in Exodus chapter 4, Moses is expressing to God his lack of confidence in his speaking ability. And this is what the Lord tells him. In verse 11 it says, So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? 
Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. That wasn't just for Moses. God will teach us what to say. When Jesus tells the disciples that, that the Holy Spirit's coming, he reminds them that the Holy Spirit will teach us. He will guide us. He will lead us. And then Jesus tells the disciples in Mark chapter 13, the 11th verse, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And I added this caveat to it last week, and I reminded you, it wasn't just that they showed up unprepared. It's that they understood their preparation. Their preparation had been spending time with Jesus and then trusting the Holy Spirit. The same is true for us. If we will spend time with the Father, then we can trust the Holy Spirit and we don't have to premeditate everything that we're going to say and do. But we do have to trust the Holy Spirit and we do have to pause and then we have to ponder and pray. Don't forget that with each situation, each situation, when I think of pausing and the examples I've already talked to you about, they were negative in nature. But this can be when you're excited as well. Sometimes we get so excited that we start saying things and doing things and we think that we are helping when in fact because we haven't been patient and we haven't waited on the Lord, we're actually doing some damage. See, we can get a word for somebody, but it's not just about getting the word, it's about the timing. It's about when to say it. It's about how to say it. All that's part of allowing the Holy Spirit to tame your tongue and my tongue. So when we pause, it's not just after the frustrating situations. It's not just after the negative situations, but it's after positive situations as well. Exciting, frustrating, good and bad times. It's not just the bad. Pause just means do not say anything until you know precisely what to say. I told you last week that's difficult for me because awkward pauses really mess with me. Some of you are really good at not saying anything until you have something to say. And if we're talking and you pause for too long, I'm going to say something. I may just chuckle or I don't know. It gets very awkward for me. I start confessing stuff. Whew. I get in trouble. I would not make a good spy. I'll just tell you that right now. I, I, I heard somebody say, say it this way, and I agree with them. If I got captured by the enemy, there wouldn't be much to the torture. I'd let them know right up front they had the right one. They had the right one. I, I just, I can't hold it in. Pause is temporary, though. Just because you have to be quiet for a little while doesn't mean you've got to be quiet forever. In fact, God tells us to go and to preach and to teach and to speak, but there's a timing to it. So a pause is just temporary. It's taking a breather. What did James tell us in the first chapter? So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What did I tell you? The Braves pitching, and while funny antidote, there's some truth behind it. Their pitching staff was getting me frustrated, and it became a real frustration that turned into something I allowed to consume me. That's what we're talking about here. You can't allow your mouth to build up and build up and get you in trouble. You've got to be swift to hear, slow to speak, or else it'll spiral out of control. 
Most conversations are just alternating monologues. The question is, is there any real listening going on? If you walk away from a conversation and you can't remember what the other person said, chances are pretty good you're not doing much listening. You're not doing much listening. So we need to learn to pause. But we need to learn to ponder as well. Tammy loves the verse where it says Mary pondered these things. And he was talking about the birth of Jesus and everything that had transpired. And it just means, man, she, she thought about it. it. It weighed on her. But in a, you know, when we're talking about in this context, pondering is not worrying. We're not talking about anxiety. We're not talking about worry. We're talking about thinking. To weigh in the mind, to think about, to reflect on. How many of you journal? Yeah, I'm putting my hand down real quick. Sorry, I don't journal. I have journaled. I lose those journals. I don't remember where I wrote it down. I mean, I'm good for about a week. I'll keep it going, and then I can't find it. But it's good to journal. It's good to have a way to reflect. That's a process that journaling is meant for, and Tammy's been trying to get me to do that for years because as we journal, it causes us to think, to ponder about what we're hearing. I wish some people would journal and ponder before they actually post. Because it's obvious that some of the things I'm reading, there was no pondering that went on. We need to think about it. Robert Morrison says there's four types of people in the world. Those who think before they speak. Those who think while they speak. Those who think after they speak, and those who don't think at all. Which one are you? We really ought to be in the think before we speak category. I, a lot of times, am in the think while I'm speaking. And you'll know that because I'll be saying something, and I might say, oops, let me, let me change that. Let me fix that. Let me correct that. And then sometimes, let let me just confess to you real quick. I loved the movie, uh, is it um, Sandlot? And and one of the kids in there says, you're killing me, Smalls. Makes me laugh every time. And and it's just kind of a a funny saying, and I've said it off and on for most of my life. It's normally happening when somebody's aggravating me or just causing me a little bit of frustration. I said, man, you're killing me, Smalls. And somebody pointed out to me not too long ago that I'm confessing that somebody's actually killing me. So while in my mind, it's just joking, I'm confessing that. But I never thought about it in those terms. Sometimes we say things and just hope the other person understands what we really mean. No, 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 no. We need to say what we mean and mean what we say which means we need to think before we speak. I like this story in 2 Samuel that illustrates this point of thinking, honestly, pondering. It's about King David. It happens in the 16th chapter of 2 Samuel. Beginning in the fifth, beginning in the fifth verse, it says, When King David came to Baharim, Behold, a man was coming out from there, from the family of the house of Saul, and his name was Shimei, the son of Girah. He was coming out cursing as he came. Let me pause there for a moment. Did you hear me say it was King David? 
Shimei is coming out and he's cursing the king. Now, I don't know about you, but I tried very hard not to back talk my mama. Now, she wasn't the king of the country, but she definitely let me know that she helped bring me into this world and she could take me out just as quick and make another one look just like me. And back talk mama. He's coming out against the king. And in those days, it's not like he's just going to be put on trial. All King David has to do is snap his finger, wave his hand, give the command, and they go and kill Shimei right there. So the amount of anger and frustration that's stirring up in Shimei, except for what happens next. In verse 6 it says, He also threw stones at David and all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the warriors were on his right and on his left. This is what Shimei said when he cursed. Go away, go away, you man of bloodshed and worthless man. He's calling the king worthless. The Lord has brought back upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have become king. And the Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom, and behold, you were caught in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Now, I don't know if you've ever had anybody get in your face, call you names, say all kinds of things against you, but I don't normally respond with, man, I really appreciate that. I like what you had to say there. I like how you insulted me, my mama, my whole family. That was nice. Man, I'd like to have that more often. I don't do that. The hairs on the back of my neck start standing up. I get a little bit red in the face because my blood pressure is going up. Why? Because I'm about to get defensive. Or I'm in the process of being defensive. They've insulted me. And it's obvious that's what some of the people with David were thinking at the time as well. We continue on in verse 9. It says, Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Now let me go over and cut off his head. Not arrest him, not punch him in the face, not give him what for and tell him off. Let me go cut off his head. And let me just let you in on a little secret here. That's literal. That's not a figurative cutting off of the man's head. So it's obvious that the hairs on the back of his neck were standing up. He was probably getting a little red in the face as well. His blood pressure was up, and he was ready to do something about it because you shouldn't be talking to the king this way. Verse 10, but the king said, what business of mine is yours, you sons of Zeruiah? If he curses, listen to this next part. If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, curse David. Then who should say, why have you done so? Do you know how good your relationship's got to be with the Lord to hear somebody cursing at you, calling you bloodthirsty, worthless, and yet you respond by saying, if that's what the Lord's told you to tell me, then who am I to stop you? You've got to have a good relationship with the Lord to receive that. Now, this is what David responded with. And it's obvious he had thought about it based on one of the scriptures here. Verse 11, then David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my son who came out of my own body seeks my life. How much more now this Benjaminite? He's saying, look, my own son Absalom wants to kill me. 
why am I worried about this guy? I've already got somebody after me. Somebody I value even more than this guy right here. Somebody who came out of me, my flesh and blood. You think I'm going to worry about Shimei? Now, and this is what's so amazing and why I believe that David thought about it. Because in verse 12, sorry, just before that he said, leave him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him. Verse 12, perhaps the Lord will look on my misery and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. He didn't look to Shimei to change. He looked to God to change. He looked to God to have mercy on him, as he did so many times in his life. But he recognized that that word of the Lord, now I don't know if that was delivered in the right tone of voice or the right phrasing, but David chose to see past all of that to see the word of the Lord and then appeal to the only person that could fix it or change it, and that was God. We think about your own situations in your own life. Is that how you're handling situations? It starts with that relationship with God. You pause, because it doesn't say that David interrupted him. You pause, you ponder before you respond. David could have done anything he wanted to Shimei, and nobody would have been bothered by that that served him. People will say some things about us. Sometimes they come out in anger. Sometimes they don't always use the right language or the right tone. You can get offended, or you can choose to hear the word of the Lord. And the only way you're going to know if it's the word of the Lord is if you submit it to him and pray about it and ask God. But if it is the word of the Lord, then I'm going to tell you, don't worry about the tone. Don't worry about the tact of another individual. Don't worry about how it was delivered. Think about the message that you've received. And think about the only person that can do anything about that message, and that's God. That's God. Amen? When you pause, you ponder, you better pray. You better pray to have the right response to people. Praying while you pause and ponder. You don't have to pause, then tell yourself, okay, now I want to think about it. Now that I've thought about it, I'm going to pray. No, no, these are all simultaneous. You should be pausing, pondering, and praying all at the same time. Lord, how should I respond? Lord, what are you telling me? Is this of you? We should speak as Jesus spoke. Wouldn't that be a novel thing to do? Speak as Jesus spoke. John 12, verses 49 and 50 say, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Just as the Father has told me. What if we don't know what to say? I don't know about y'all, but one of my frustrations with God, he just said frustrations with God. Yes, I said frustrations with God. And he's aware because I've had the conversation with him. But it feels like the conversation's one-sided. Is I don't always feel like I hear the Lord immediately. And for me, it's not like talking to my earthly father where I actually physically hear the verbal response. There's a lot of work that goes into me knowing that I've heard the voice of the Lord. Now, some of that is on me because if I would spend more time with him, I would recognize his voice sooner. I would recognize his voice quicker. But it's difficult when we are waiting on the Lord, and sometimes we can get pressured into responding or making a decision or doing something because we haven't heard clearly from the Lord. So what do we do? 
James tells us in chapter 1 exactly what to do. Verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But Pastor Herman, I haven't heard the answer. Then guess what you got to do? You got to pause a little longer. You got to wait. You might even have to tell the person you don't know the answer. But whatever you're trying to purchase, that new home, that new car, whatever it's going to be, is available now. You got to make a decision. You feel that pressure. But the reality is you don't. Because the same God that's blessed you with what you have will bless you with what you're going to have. And if this so-called deal goes away, it either wasn't for you, God's got a better one down the road. We've tried to get into two different buildings in the last year. And in one of those, we realized through uh, the word of the Lord that that wasn't the right place. There was going to be way too much work to be done, and it wasn't the right fit for us. And God basically told us that we could get in there, but it would be his permissive will, not his perfect will. And we said, no, we'd rather have your perfect will. So where are we going to go? I don't know. What are we going to do about that? We're going to keep praying and asking the Lord, and we're going to know when the right situation presents itself. And when it does, we're going to know that that's the blessing from the Lord. So we put in for another building. We prayed about it. We submitted it to the Lord. When we prayed as an elder board, we asked the Lord to do his will. And if this wasn't the building for us, then let our bid not be accepted. We put in a bid over asking price, which is normally a really good thing and normally gets you either a, uh, an agreement or they'll come back and sometimes can start a bidding war. There was no callback. There was no anything. And we knew because of our prayers that wasn't the right place for us. But we need a building, do we? Why? Because you want one? Because you're uncomfortable? Because you're tired of hearing that air conditioner in the youth room leak while we're having service? I'm used to it now. It don't even bother me. Because when we do fellowships and somebody's getting ice together, you hear the crunching all through the, the, the sanctuary? That's all right. No big deal. That's just the sound of fellowship about to happen. In other words, what I'm saying is don't rush a decision just because you're feeling the pressure or just because you think that's a great deal and you better act right then. I had somebody tell me recently, I know the next vehicle God's got for me. I'm just waiting on the timing. And I thought, I have never thought about a vehicle in those terms. My thought has always been, I'm going to drive it till it won't drive anymore. And I do. And then we normally would sell it to the junkyard, get a few hundred dollars for it, and we go to praying, Lord, we need help. And you know what? God has always blessed us and taken care of us. But that's always a reaction to something that's happened. I never thought about that particular instance of responding and just going in and saying, Lord, what is the next vehicle you got for us? What, what is the next house? And the answer may be, this is the final house. This is where you, but the point is you're, you're having those thoughts and conversations with the Lord instead of it becoming a a quick decision, a pressure move, something that you feel like you have to make right then and there. But in the end, if you don't have clear direction from the Lord, then don't go. When I first got into ministry full-time, I had just graduated college. And I had been feeling the call of the Lord for that last month I was in there. And I'd been talking to Tammy about it, and she wasn't quite there yet. And she just wasn't sure that was the right uh, decision because 
There wasn't a position open. I didn't feel called to apply to other churches. I felt like I was supposed to go work full-time at this church. But there wasn't a paid position available. For me, in that instance, I, had, I, I felt like I would heard the Lord, but I wanted to have confirmation. And so I submitted it to Tammy, and I talked to Dad about it. Tammy prayed. We prayed for three months. We fasted on and off, prayed for three months. And in those three months, I found a job, and I worked. And then we prayed. And we didn't move until we knew for sure that's what the Lord wanted me to do. Tammy got confirmation. I was still there with confirmation. I came to work that, that following month. Just showed up. They didn't, they didn't even have an application to fill out. I just showed up. They didn't have anything for me to do. I read two books that week, and I don't read books. It was amazing. Uh, your favorite guy, Jared, A.W. Tozier. Read a couple books by him. And then I'm thinking, well, Lord, I don't know, but there's no paycheck coming either. But I'd heard the Lord tell me that if I would just trust him in three months' time, I would start receiving a check. By the way, I didn't tell anybody that besides Tammy. And you know three months from that day, I got a paycheck. The Lord fulfilled the promise he made to me. He took care of me. And you know, in all that time, I never missed a bill. We never missed a meal. We were taken care of. Now, some people that hear that story know that Tammy was working full time. And some people can't see the faith in that, and that's okay. Because she was earning enough to take care of both of us. So God decided to increase my testimony. And after Dad ridiculously kicked me out of the ministry after four years, he said that was the word of the Lord, which he was right, but I didn't like it. I don't know how hard that was for him, but I can't imagine having to tell your son, I've enjoyed the time here, but God's saying it's time to move on for now. But he did, and I didn't like it, and I grumbled and complained for a little bit, but then I got my act together, and I can honestly say looking back now that had I not heard that word from Dad and had he not stood his ground because he knew that was the right path, then I would have never made the transition into education and teaching, which I still to this day tell you that's the best training I ever received for ministry the best and I'd made statements before saying I would never be a teacher there it is again Tammy's laughing a little too hard I would never be a teacher but that's what God had for me so fast forward now to this most recent stint in full-time ministry and I know it's been a little over five years because I just received a letter from the Georgia Teachers Retirement System to let me know that I had not contributed in over five years, and so they were moving me to a different status and explaining to me all my benefits and ways to, to deal with that in the future. Um, so it's been more than five years. And yet this time, Tammy heard the word of the Lord. And she said, Herman, I, I believe the Lord's saying it's time for you to go back into full-time ministry. And I said, I don't think you heard the Lord. Because just so you know, there wasn't a position open. And it wasn't a paid position. And I had some bills to pay because now it wasn't just Tammy and me. It was me and Tammy and three boys that we were raising. And we got bills. We got mortgages. We got car payments. I'm working on paying debts off. And according to the plan that I set up, I had one more year. And if I got those debts paid off, it would free me up tremendously. And then I could trust the Lord and go into full-time ministry. 
But how many of you know that's not a step of faith? That's not a step of faith to make sure everything's taken care of, and then you'll do what the Lord's asking you to do. See, God will ask us to do things to show our faith, but he also does it to build our faith so that I can tell a testimony to say, look what happened. Even though in the moment that I was going through it, I wasn't 100% sure it was all going to work out. So for six months, Tammy kept dropping hints, not so subtle hints, that I was supposed to go to full-time ministry again. And I kept reminding her that she needed to get with God more because she wasn't hearing the right voice. And then I'm cutting grass one day. And I definitely heard the Lord. And all he asked me was, what's the holdup? And I said, God, you know that I got one more year on this plan to get these debts taken care of. Lord, I just need one more year. He said, so you're telling me it's just a financial concern. It's nothing else? I said, yeah, no, you've always taken care of me, Lord. And when I said that, I got myself in trouble. He said, so I've always taken care of you. You don't think I'll take care of you now? I don't know if you've ever tried to argue with the Lord, but I'm 04, pick a number. I've never won an argument with him. And I began riding that lawnmower and cutting the grass. I don't even know if I was staying in a straight line anymore because I realized that I heard God and that Tammy had heard the Lord and that it was time for me to go back into full-time ministry. So I did what every good Christian does that's heard the word of the Lord with faith. I said, okay, Lord, I'll answer that call. And I went back to school and I didn't tell anybody. Because my plan was to just kind of ride it out and maybe. See, I gave myself some room to wiggle, which God quickly took away from me. See, they normally give out contracts around March, and you got to sign it by the end of the month. So I knew I had three more months to think about this until the meeting in January with all the faculty and staff and the principal says, just want to let you know that we're going to lose a couple positions next year, so be prepared. I'll be handing out contracts this week. I'm going to need you to make your decisions soon so that I can make decisions. In fact, I need you to make your decision by the end of this month in January. I said, Lord, that is not right, man. So I stepped out in faith, and I went and I saw my principal and told her that I was leaving to go into the ministry full-time. And she, too, said that she felt like I had missed the voice of the Lord. And I appreciated that compliment. And she chuckled and laughed, and we moved on. What I didn't tell you was I was still struggling at the time with giving tithe and offering. I wasn't giving tithe and offering the way that I should be giving tithe and offering. And I was having a hard time keeping up with the bills. In fact, I, I couldn't keep up with them. I, every month was finagling. And I don't know if you, you know what finagling in finance is, but it means disaster is on the horizon. If you're having to finagle your finances every month, it's only a matter of time before something messes up and you go down into a deep ditch that you can't get out of. And the Lord had really convicted me on that. So in a, a twisted way, I thought, well, when I go to the church and I'm not getting paid, there's nothing to give tithe off of, so maybe I'll get right back with that. But God had other plans. I don't remember how long it was this time. It wasn't too long after I made that decision and just showed up at the doorstep again. No job available, no pay, and the church started taking care of me soon after that. In fact, 
what happened in the interim was God began to lay on people's hearts to give money to me and Tammy. I never made the first plea. I never told people I needed the money. And every one of those people could have given us money at any point in time in the last decade. But it wasn't until that moment that God laid on their heart to bless us. Listen to what I'm telling you. All I had to do was trust the Lord, step out in faith, and quit worrying about the things that I thought I could control and allow the Lord to do what he does best. You know, it wasn't too long after that, I repented and told the Lord that I was going to do things his way again. And we started immediately. Let me rephrase that. Tammy, bless her heart, she had to put up with a lot of stuff where I was making bad decisions. I felt like she was kind of Sarah with Abraham in that situation. But she was submitted to me, and I was the one making those decisions. And I had to repent to her, and I had to repent to the Lord. And I started giving tithe immediately. I'm going somewhere with this, and I promise I'll bring it back around to taming the tongue in just a minute. But that step of faith did more for me than I ever knew it would. First of all, it gave me a testimony that I can tell to people. Not one I heard, not one I read, but one I lived. So when I tell you my favorite scripture is Revelation 12, 11, it's because it speaks to me, because I've lived that. So they overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I know I overcame Satan because I lived it and I experienced it. So I can tell this testimony better than anybody else. And I know what God did for me during this time better than anybody else. What I tell you, I was coming up short each month on my bills. I don't know how good you guys are at math, but I'm betting you can track with this one. If you're bringing in $50,000 a year and you're not able to pay all of your bills and you're not giving tithe, Quitting your job and making zero is not going to magically make those bills get paid. It's just not. So don't try it. It won't work. The creditors don't care. They'll give you a little bit of leeway. But at some point, they're done. They're coming after you. They want their money. The gas company is going to shut that gas off at some point in time. Electric company is going to shut the electricity off at some point in time. But you know that was over five years ago? And I say this to make a point, not, be, not, not any other reason. I still don't make as much money now as I did right before I entered the ministry full-time again. Some of you are ahead of me. You know where I'm going with this. I told you making that amount of money, which I just pulled a number out of the figure. I don't really know what I was making at that point in time. I wasn't covering my bills. Now I'm giving tithe faithfully, not making, I don't even know if I was making half of what I was making and yet, somehow, every bill I had was getting paid and getting paid off. You can't do that without God. You can't do that without God. So then God challenged me. And Miss Pat got up here one day with Mr. Jim. And they gave their testimony. And unashamedly, Boldly, she said, we give off the gross, not the net. Man, it's like a ton of bricks, the Lord just said. I've been telling you that for a while. See, I was happy because I was giving off the net, and God said, give off the gross. I said, Lord, 
That's a pretty big increase right there. Now, this time it didn't take me long because I'd experienced the previous few months. And I knew what he did for me. And so I said, yes, sir. And I immediately increased what I was given. And then the Lord challenged again. And he let me know, I didn't call you just to give tithe. I called you to give offering as well. I said, Lord, you are messing with me right now. What is going on? It's never enough for you, is it? He said, no, 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 it's not. He wants us to have more and more and more faith. And so now, it's a foregone conclusion. I, I, you're not going to catch me not giving tithes and offerings anymore because I've lived that. I've experienced that. I know what happens when you don't. It's not punishment. It's God fulfilling his word. And I lived that torture and discomfort and misery and never able to experience the freedom that comes from doing things God's way. So I, 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 I begin to give tithe and offering, and then I begin to look for situations and listen to the Lord. In fact, somebody had blessed me not too long ago with $50. I was like, man, Lord, that is awesome. And I had it in my little wallet back here. Some of y'all caught that word had. You know where I'm going already. And I've had a couple people come in that had needs, and neither time did the Lord impress on me that I was supposed to help them out. And so I got excited. Tammy and I are going to get to get away. We're going on vacation. We're going to get away from here a little bit, get some time with the Lord with each other. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do with that $50. And I guess God said, no, you don't, because I didn't know what I was going to do with that $50. And I went to a church yesterday to help them out with a youth conference they were doing. And on the schedule, they had an offering, and I was like, yeah, you know, I didn't bring anything today. I didn't think about it. We get to the offering section, and the Lord immediately says, all right, it's time to give that 50. I said, Lord, I have that money earmarked for something else. And he said, then don't give it. That's up to you. I said, never mind. Let me get up and go give it now, because I sure don't want you to finish any of that thought process. And I don't know how the Lord's going to take care of me. It don't matter. He's taking care of me. He's taking care of Tammy and I. Now, I've run a huge rabbit trail that I don't know that I can get myself back to. <laughs> exactly what we were talking about. But I want you to know that taming the tongue, in theory, is no different. It's about having the faith and trusting the Lord that you don't have to say everything. You don't have to fix every problem. You don't have to know all the answers. And if you're just... Pause, ponder, and pray. God will provide. He'll provide for you financially. He'll provide for you physically. And he'll provide for you in the form of answers. He'll provide by telling you what to say. Well, what if I don't know what to say still? Then keep asking and don't say anything. Keep asking and don't say anything. When I was studying for today's message, last week I told you about Paul and Timothy, and my goal is to leave you with what I believe taming the tongue looks like each week. And last week I talked to you about the encouragement. And if you'll give me about five more minutes here, I'll bring this to a close that I think you can appreciate. But we can tell whether or not we are allowing God to tame our tongues by what's coming out. And last week I told you, if what's about to come out of your mouth is negative, 
If it's not encouraging, then pause a little longer. And today I'm going to add to that and tell you, don't just pause a little longer. Ponder a little deeper and pray a little harder. God wants us to encourage each other. God wants us to edify this body. It tells us that in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. I like this quote. It says something similar. Treat a person as they are and they will remain as they are. Treat a person as they can and should be and they will become as they can and should be. I was doing the altar call and, and worship and singing yesterday at that youth conference. And I was sharing with a buddy of mine who rode with me on the way back home. I said, man, you know, God is so good and he has brought me so far. But I'm so thankful for the people in my life that encouraged me and continue to encourage me along the way. And I'm so glad you're here today, Miss Mildred, because I remember years and years ago, I had just started playing guitar. And Miss Mildred had a Bible study group, and they invited me to come and play a couple songs for worship. And I tell you this, when I left that place that night, I was riding a high because they were so complimentary and encouraging, and they said things that were very good, such as, man, you were so good at that, God's really giving you a gift, you need to keep on. And as I've gotten better, and I've reflected on that night, they're a bunch of liars. That was the worst worship possible. What they were doing was they were speaking in my life. Because they knew that where I was starting was not where I was going to finish. And they were doing what the Lord had taught them to do, which was to call me into what God saw in me. And so when I'm able to sit up here and worship and play and sing, it's by the, the leading and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And he proves that to me because there are times I think I'm excited. I go to sing and it don't come out real well. So those times where you guys are hearing it come out very well, I mean, that's really the Lord blessing me in that moment. But it started way back from encouragement from people that if they were being completely honest, would have told me that was not very good. We're going to run across people like that in our lives, and we have to see what God sees in them. That is our job. That's how we know if our tongue is tame, because we're not spitting out the negativity. We're not crushing people. We're encouraging them. We're calling out what God has put inside of them. We all go through training. I believe my messages have gotten a little better. But it only has happened because of your grace and mercy and encouragement. By continuing to believe in me and speak those words of encouragement into me. Because I can tell you, the first few sermons, if you got something out of it, it was definitely the Lord. Amen. It was the Lord. And over the last few years, God has had to train me and teach me how to preach. How to teach from this pulpit. And it goes into the preparation. And so... I'm just telling you that you have people in your life like that. You have people that you need to encourage and call them into what God has for them. I want to leave you with this example here. I want to leave you with a relationship that you've read about, that you know about. It's Jesus and Peter. Jesus and Peter. I mean, if you think about it, Peter was a hothead. Peter 
reacted a lot of times. And remember I told you last week, we need to learn to respond instead of react. Don't have a knee-jerk reaction, but have a calculated response. Jesus responded. Peter, a lot of times, reacted. But Peter was one of the original 12 disciples. Yes, how many people can say that? Well, if he was one of the original 12, there's only 12 that can say that. He was one of the original 12 disciples. He witnessed many miracles, including seeing a girl raised from the dead. He walked on water. It was a brief moment, but he still did it. He still did it. But Peter also did some things that frustrated or would have frustrated Jesus. He just spoke what the Lord told him to speak. He refused to allow Jesus to wash his feet. He cut off an ear of the high priest's servant trying to defend Jesus, and then he denied even knowing Jesus. And how did Jesus respond to Peter in each of these situations? Well, Jesus said, if you do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. He didn't call Peter names. He didn't say you're out of the group. He didn't tell him what a dummy he was. He simply explained to him, if I don't do this, you don't have any part of me. Well, Peter loved Jesus so much. Peter said, hey, if that's the case, don't just wash my feet, but wash my whole body, wash my head and everything. See, sometimes people react out of what they think they're supposed to be. They give you the, the, the words that they think you want to hear. They give you the reaction of what they think they're supposed to be around you. And as you respond to them the way Jesus responds, it calls them into what Peter became. When Peter was defending Jesus, it wasn't because he hated Jesus. It wasn't because he, for any other reason except he loved Jesus. He, defend, he wanted to defend Jesus. And after he cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, not only did Jesus put it back on, but he reminded Peter of the mission. He said, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? He explained to him, Peter, don't stop the mission, man. I get that your heart's in the right place, but your heart doesn't understand. I get you trying to defend me, but number one, I don't, I don't need you to defend me. I, I need to do what my Father has sent me here to do. When Jesus resurrected, and after Peter had denied him three times, I think you know the story, but think about it again. Peter denied him three times, and Jesus asked him how many times if he loved him? Three. And after each time that Peter responded, you know I do, Lord, Jesus said, then feed my lambs, tend to my lambs, and feed my sheep. I don't know about you, but if I don't know the value of somebody, I'm not entrusting them with my most valuable possession. If Jesus didn't know the value of Peter, he would have never told him to have anything to do with his people. But he knew what Peter was working to become. If we don't walk with people, if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to tame our tongues, then we're never going to be a part of bringing somebody into the fulfillment of what God has called them into. It's as simple as that. This last interaction makes me chuckle, but I think it really leaves us with the idea of what I've been trying to get at today, which is about taming the tongue and responding instead of reacting in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 through 19, 
Jesus said, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I don't know about you, but having Jesus look at you and say, blessed are you. I'm looking to the day where he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So to be Peter and to have Jesus look at you in the face and say, blessed are you. But you see, we're, we're dealing with people and we sometimes are those people to where we get it. We've paused, we've pondered, we've prayed. And then we get this example just a little bit later. In that same chapter, just a few verses later, verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Listen to this. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. That makes me chuckle every time. Have you ever thought about pulling Jesus to the side to rebuke him? I, I don't know. It just, seems, it just strikes me as funny. And Peter says to him, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But then Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Let me finish this off by bringing all this together. Just a few verses before, Jesus is talking to this very same guy and saying, blessed are you. You got it, man. You heard from my father. And yet Peter, in his zeal, is still not completely getting the picture. So Jesus rebukes him. But later on, after the death and resurrection, Jesus does what? He comes and finds Peter who by all accounts had decided to give up on everything, to discount what it had all been through, decided to go back to what he knew, which was fishing. And Jesus came and found him. Why? Because he knew the value of Peter. And later on, Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit, preaches, and 3,000 are led to the Lord that day. And my understanding is they only talked about men. So if you've got 3,000 men plus families... Man, how many people were saved that day and added to the kingdom of God? If Jesus doesn't walk with Peter and speak to him the way that his father instructs, then the question is, does Peter ever reach his potential? You're going to have people in your life that God wants you to walk with, to love, to pull out of them what God has put in them even when they don't see it. And just like Jesus, you're going to be tried. Your patience is going to be tested. And if you don't seek the Holy Spirit first and then pause, ponder, and pray, then you're going to have disastrous results. So I want to encourage you today. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. Words of encouragement are even more persistent 
and powerful than words of discouragement. And if you stand to your feet, I'll give you these last two points. Words of encouragement persist long after the people who spoke them are gone. Think about that. We're still reading the words of Jesus. We're still reading the words of Paul and the disciples. I'm sure you can think of something your grandmother or grandfather in your life that if they've passed on, somebody that they've said to you. Those words persist. I was thinking about my grandfather encouragement again today. He's going to be with the Lord. But yet what he told me lives on. They persist. They carry the power to help, to heal, to encourage, to refresh, to restore, to inspire. Are you getting it? They carry that power. Your words have power. They carry the power to change a city, a state, a nation, and a world. The words that the disciples spoke changed this world forever. So I want to encourage you to tame the tongue by allowing the Holy Spirit to do it for you. Seeking Him first. Pausing, pondering, and praying before speaking and respond. Don't react. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church. A place where you are loved, accepted, and received. A place of healing. A place of prayer. A place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.